So thankful for our worship team, aren't you? So thankful. That's Dapper Dan this morning. Don't you think he looks dapper? We have been looking in the last couple of weeks at what church looks like or what we would want church to be like. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, uh, Prashan from Sri Lanka came in and he started off this part of our, our series by talking about the greatest way in which we can demonstrate uh, who God has called us to, as a church to be is to walk in unity. And so we, we talked about that that concept of what does it look like to truly walk as one as Jesus and the Father are one. And then last week, we talked about um, what it looks like to love one another deeply. And specifically, what does it look like to put on 1 Corinthians 13 love and really war for one another, not out of hatred or, or judgment or malice, but out of uh, kind words and actions and responses that demonstrate the love of God. Uh, to other people. So hopefully this this week we've been thinking about 1 Corinthians 13 and, and asking God, God, would you give me a, a heart that wars for one and for others with my words and actions and responses? But you know, we can't, I want to I pause and stay here in this place because I really do believe, what is 1 Corinthians end? The, the end of that chapter says, the greatest thing that can happen in our life is for us to receive and embody love in such, such a way that it transforms us. And so if we are going to say, we could have a hundred messages about what we would like the church to look like. But I feel like that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if we boil all those messages down to one thing, if you could just get love right, we're doing good. So wouldn't it be a mistake if we kind of rushed over love without it getting deep into us? And I was thinking this, this week, as we look into, look inward, I mean, and, and again, I, I don't like that thought about just looking inward because I always want us to be looking outward. But as we pause for a, for a few weeks and look at ourselves as a church, we really can't walk in unity and we can't walk in this, war, this, this words, action, response kind of 1 Corinthians 13 love unless we have a full, full, deep understanding and grasp of the love of God for us. And we talked about that a little bit last week, but as I remember one of my favorite pastors communicating, uh, his name is C.J. Mahaney, uh, and he said, you know, if the congregation isn't getting it, getting it, preach it again. And I'm not saying you're not getting it. Maybe your pastor's not getting it. I was in the middle of the week going, Lord, I don't think I get it. You know, well, let's, let's preach to yourself again, Sean, and maybe some other people will listen. What does it really look like for us to receive fully the love of God? This theme that has, has, I wove into this thought last week was that we are called to be a family. And families, good families are unified. And good fam- families war for one another. And good families have parents who love them. And so we want to be a people that uh, receive uh, the love of the Father, the love of heaven. We want to be secure in God's love. I thought it was so interesting that this coincided with Mother's Day because there ain't no love like mama's love, right? Isn't that what we just experienced a little bit in the service? There ain't no love like mama's love. That might be a southern expression. 
Um, and that's what I grew up with. Uh, if, if your mama don't love you, nobody's going to love you. That's another phrase, you know. I, I don't think we're going to preach about that this morning because that's not really what I'm trying to say. But there's a few of those phrases out there. But I, I really love what, what this, this testimony time did for taking us into the heart of God. And there's a few people that said that this morning. Um, what does it look like to know the love of God? Well, probably the collective expression of all of time would say, what does a mom's love look like? That's probably pretty close on earth. And I shared a little bit about my own mom and her love for her firstborn. But I can tell you that my mom was at every game, every band concert, every spelling bee competition, every art exhibit, if you could call it art. Everything that I did, my mom was there. Every tear that she saw me cry, she wiped away. Every teacher that she thought was taking advantage of her son, she wanted to rebuke. And I had to say, back down, mom. Back down. I'll take care of it myself. I can remember my mom stroking my hair and me lying in her lap, scratching my head. My mom's Gucci's, I call them. She was going to Gucci my head. I love my mom. And I love my wife who loves, I've had a first row seat of an awesome mother. My kids are bobbing their heads up and down. It's true. I've watched her. I I had this memory this morning, Molly, as you were sitting on the front row, of you being born. The first birth that I saw. I remember the first nine months of that journey and watching the discomfort and the trial that Laura was going through and experiencing the crescendo of that trial in your birth and all of the pain that she went through and then instantaneously, the moment that she saw you, tears of joy and just, I can't describe it, a mother's love. And that's true for you, Annie and Jonathan, wherever you are, Samuel, Isaac. It's an unbelievable love, and I've watched Laura not only um, bring five beautiful children into the world, but I've seen her endless lunches, her forever driving, her kind responses in the heat of bad attitudes, starting with her husband. But <laughs> talk, about, talk about a mom right now, but just her grace and her nurturing of her kids. What an unconditional, an unconditional love that I've seen through Laura. Unfortunately, in Scripture, we don't always have, uh, most of Scripture does does not denote the love of God as a mother's love. I wish that we said that more often in Scripture. We can read between the lines, Isaiah 66, well, we can see a couple of scriptures. Isaiah 66 says, I will comfort you there in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her child. This is God speaking of his care for us, the church. And he talks about his love for us as one like a mother comforting her children. Jesus, when he looked over Jerusalem in Matthew 23, talked about wanting to care for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, his people, 
like a hen cares for her chicks, one of protection and and, uh, hovering care. So we definitely see some images of, of, of specific examples of the heart of a mother in Scripture. But what we do know is that whether God is described as a father or a mother, that the embodiment of unconditional love, love that we see in a good mom or dad, has its origins in God. So anything that we've experienced of love here on earth that speaks of that nurturing, caring, comforting, protecting, long-suffering, I love you no matter what kind of love has its origins in God, even as we dissect it in the context of what we see in our fathers and our mothers. The love of God is a mother, father, brother, sister, best friend kind of love all wrapped up into one. Amen? So today we're going to talk about we are a family secure in God's love. We are a family, the church, individuals collected collected into a whole. We are secure as a family in God's love. Prashan, um, uh, a couple weeks ago, talked out of John 17 about this unity that we uh, experience through Christ, that the same kind of love that the Father and Son had for one another, that we can experience that same kind of love. Jesus is praying for us to experience that. That whole ch- grouping of, of scriptures is, is the context is the context is Jesus with his disciples, and it's his last conversation with them before he goes to the cross. And within that whole 14, 15, 16, 17 passage of scriptures, there's a lot of talk about love. He pounds home love over and over and over again. I want you to know, disciples. I want you to proclaim it, disciples. I want you to know it, readers of these words in the centuries to come. I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. This is how I love you. And he describes how he's he's gonna love us by going to the cross and dying. He describes how he's going to love us by being raised from the dead and coming back and, and making his home with us. He describes how he's going to love us when he comes back uh, again and brings us into heaven. He describes love over and over and over again. Why? Because he wants us to know that the foundation and the fabric of what makes life worth living is found in his love. Home With us, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with them. God has come to make his home in us, those of us who trust him as our God and our Savior. We were made in his image, Genesis 1. He came to show us the way home. Philippians 2 talks about him emptying himself of his heavenly form and living among us as a human walking a sinless life so that he might become the, the atoning sacrifice for our ugliness and sin. He made a way for us to come home through his death and resurrection. Romans talks about how he has adopted us as his sons and daughters, that when we were orphaned or in an orphan state, helpless, without the ability to father or mother ourselves, God said, I'm going to adopt you, and I'm not just going to adopt you, I'm going to place you in the best family that you could ever be placed in. And I'm going to love you with the kind of love that no person you've ever been around has ever been able to demonstrate to you. I'm going to have a love beyond what you can imagine. 
This is the adoption that we've experienced as sons and daughters in God. And now he's telling his disciples, not only is all of that going to happen, but I'm going to come and live in you and be with you. And we're going to be family together forever. It's pretty cool. It's, 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 it's not in the same context as when maybe one of your in-laws comes to live with you that you're not quite sure about. Just want, to, want you to go ahead and pull that one out of your brain and set that aside. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the best parent, the best person that exemplifies love that you can imagine living in you 24-7 and showering you with affirmation and hope and encouragement. This is the God who lives in you. John 15, 9, where we want to, I want to just meditate on this passage of Scripture. So in John 15, he's, in, he's at this, this table talking to his disciples, and he says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. So what is this love? So let's, let's do this again. Let's think about, let's think about, the best love interaction that we've ever had with another person. The the best love interaction that we've ever experienced. So let's just try that. So maybe it might be a mom. Maybe it's a dad. Maybe it's a spouse like my wife when she forgives me when I don't deserve to be forgiven. And I'm not just saying that flippantly. When we have been forgiven by others in ways in which we should not be forgiven. Humanly. What about that kind of love? Maybe it's when somebody's extravagantly given us something, a big gift or a generous act of kindness or service. What's your experiences with love? These moments that you just thought about, these wonderful experiences are the beginning, are the beginning tastes or touches of God's love. We can't even understand that. You're all like looking at me like, what do I do with that? But to take your best experiences and recognize that the God who created love, who experienced love in community for eternity before he created one human being, the author and perfecter of love, loves you. He loves you better than the best experience you just thought of. This word in John 15 in the Greek is called agape. It's an agape kind of love. And this is the way that it's described. A selfless concern for the welfare of others that is not called, that is not called forth by any quality of lovableness in the person loved, but is the product of a will to love in obedience To God's command, this would be in the human context. It is like Christ's love manifested on the cross. Or uh, to take it out of the human context, it's a love that we have not generated or deserved, but originates in God himself. He loves us because he loves us. He loves you because he loves you. And he selflessly serves you even when he doesn't have to. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that he's love. 1 Corinthians 13 describes the kind of love he has, patience, kindness, humility, servanthood, selflessness, kindness, forgiveness, truth-seeking, protection, trusting, hopeful, persevering, you name it. Every aspect of love that you like or need or respond to, God is. 
It's been existing since the beginning of time, and it will continue to exist for all time. Love is not an experiment. It's a relational reality that's perfect in God. Okay, so why am I pounding this? Because I want you to know that your distorted and my distorted images of what love looks like, because I live in this world, need to be reoriented in my mind and in our minds so that we can understand that we do live in a reality where the God of perfect love is real and he's pursuing you and me. He's not just saying, this is what I'm like, too bad, you're not going to ever experience it. He's not saying, this is what I'm like, you better try to live up to what I'm like, and if you're like me, maybe we can hang out together. He is saying, this is what I'm like, and you'll never, ever be able to accomplish or to to understand what I'm like on your own, but I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to show you and lavish myself upon you. That is awesome. As the Father loved me, John 15, 9. Now think about this. Perfect, wonderful, loving relationship that's been transpiring for eternity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit involved in this beautiful relationship forever. This is the kind of love that Jesus and the Father came with to heaven. As soon as Jesus was baptized, Matthew 3, he went up out of the water and at that moment... From heaven, heaven opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, and a voice from heaven saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is what I think it is. Jesus is being baptized, and the Trinity knows that what is happening right now is the beginning of something that will revolutionize every person's life who's ever lived. This is it. They've been, they've been thinking about this. They've been talking about it. They've been dreaming about it. They've been thinking about you. They created every one of us uniquely, designed the way we are because they love every single one of us. And they know that when Jesus starts to, to live out the plan, that the reconciliation of who they've created to who they are is about to take place. This is exciting stuff. And so I guarantee you what was happening is that it was happening and Father and Holy Spirit were going, come on, when do we get to be, when do we get to do our thing? Hold on, it's about to happen. It's about to happen. He goes under the water. He comes out. And they said, it's now. Yeah! He looks up. He's like, it's happening. You know? Spirit of God comes down. Woo! Father, chest out, yes, my son. Yeah, it's happening. And why are they so happy? They're not just happy because Jesus got dunked in some water. They're not just happy because some event happened. They're happy because of you, because of me, because they know that this is the beginning of the end of the work of Satan and his dominion of death and destruction in your life. He knows, that they know that there is something awesome happening that's going to transform your life if you let it. They are in love with one another and they're in love with you. The Father and the Holy Spirit going, man, Jesus, way to go. You just, you're doing it. It's awesome. I love you, son. 
I love you, Jesus. We're in this together. Let's do it. As the Father loved me, Jesus. That's the kind of love he knew. He didn't have a distorted love that he understood. He knew the love of the Father and the Holy Spirit. And when he saw the Father, and when he saw the Holy Spirit, and they were celebrating over him, what do you think his response was? (laughs) He got pumped up. He got filled up. He got reminded, I am loved by the Father and the Holy Spirit. I can do this thing. He needed it because he went into the desert right after this. He went into trial. He began the journey, and it wasn't an easy journey. How many of you are on an easy journey in here? Go ahead and raise your hand. You're just on an easy journey. This is an easy life. Anybody raise your hands? There's a word called liar. (laughs) We got hard lives. Not all the time, but sometimes. He had a hard life ahead of him, but he had all of heaven on his side. You have a hard life ahead of you, and you have all of heaven. You have all of heaven on your side. And all of heaven has been on your side, surprisingly enough, for eternity. Jeremiah 31.3 says this, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I I have loved you with what? An everlasting, or another word, eternal love. Is it a crazy thought? Please get this. Is it a crazy thought? I'm going to put my name in it so you can understand. Is it a crazy thought that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for like a million years in the past, I'll just put a number on it because we can understand it, a million years ago thought about Sean and said, yeah, I'm going to make him just like that. And I love him unbelievably much. Do you believe that about yourself? I have loved you with an everlasting love. Wow. As one pastor said, I wish I could describe it to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us when he was found. Christ's response on the cross, I love you, Father. I'll go all the way because of our plan. I love you who persecute me. As a matter of fact, the very last word he said was, Father, forgive them. He loves us, even at the place of death. This is a complete kind of love. It's a no holds barred kind of love. It's a I'll sacrifice whatever it means so that you can have life kind of love. It's I'll give up everything that I've ever experienced so that you can know me kind of love. God's not wanting you to jump through hoops to get to him. He's running to you. It's my beautiful picture of the prodigal son passage. God is running to you. He's running to you. And I believe not only 
running to you as you run up the, up the road, but if he sees you, he's running to tackle you to get you back on the road. He wants you to make it. He's not against you. He loves for you to make it. Right? Isn't that what agape love is? Isn't that the mother love that we just talked about? Isn't that the kind of love that you experienced when I asked you to think about it? Where did that come from? It came from God. And that's just the beginning. Okay. Believe in God that you'll knock some walls down in our heart. If one of our kids, I think I, I have, I'm the kind of person that thinks about scenarios ahead of time. Anybody out there like this? I've got like a hundred of them. You know, okay, if this happens, I'm going to do this. You know, I walk in, you know, I'm just always thinking about, okay, what, what would I do? And the scenarios around my family are probably some of the ones that fill my mind the most. What would happen if uh, we're engaging the crisis this summer? I was on the phone with my daughter, Annie, and she's going to Greece, and they changed their location, her location, and I think they moved her closer to a border. But they didn't. I thought they did. But at the moment, I thought they were. And I was like, I've been traveling all over the world all my life. And I've raised my kids to engage crises. And I'm not sure I want my daughter to engage this crisis. I don't want her close to some, you know, ISIS terrorist that's going to capture her. You know, I had all these scenarios. But what would I do if it happened? And I go there. What, what's that? Calpucci. <laughs> that's what David said. Calpucci. No. I would pray... But then I would get on the next plane and I would go wherever I thought she was and Laura would probably be right there with me and then I'd say, honey, you got to stay home with the kids. We would do whatever it takes to get her back. No questions answered. No question. There's no question in my mind that if something happened to Annie and there was an opportunity for me to exchange my life for her, I'm not this gracious on any other issue, but I think I've gotten there with my kids. That if that happened, no questions asked. You get her out of here and you do whatever you want to me, but you don't touch it. You don't lay a hand on my daughter. It's just the tip of God's love for you. It's a complete eternal, merciful, long-suffering kind of love. And how does he love you this way? Because you've been good enough for it? Because you've done all the right things? You've jumped through all the hoops? you believed all the right things even? You've gone to seminary. You've done some Bible studies. And you know everything about God now. Just let that one settle in for a second. You're right about everything. No, none of those things actually merit one ounce of love from God. You're loved by God because he's love. And because he created you, he's a proud papa, and he wants you in his family. Come on up, Dan. It's too quick. But Colossians 1 tells us this. Listen to this in the, in the New Living Translation version. I love this. This includes, <clears throat> this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has reconciled you to himself. 
through the death of his son Jesus in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Isn't it amazing that what Christ has done for you and me on the cross is that when the Father looks at you, you're perfect, unblemished, awesome, heir of heaven with God. That's agape love. Andrew Murray says it this way, Our wretchedness only serves to call out more distinctly the beauty of love, such as could not be seen even in heaven. With the tenderest compassion, he bows to our weakness. With patience inconceivable, he bears with our sorrows. With the gentlest loving kindness, he meets our fears. And our follies. Does that sound like mama's love? God in heaven. It's the best mom, the best dad you'll ever know. He wants you to remain in him. He wants you to know him. As the father loved Jesus, so he loves you. Now remain in his love. Would you stand up with me? Our response to this kind of love is there's only one response. When somebody extravagantly loves us and we can't do anything to deserve it or pay it back, what do we do? There's two things that we do. Two things. We receive it. Have you ever done something? Have you ever planned like gone to a lot of trouble to do something for somebody and then them not receive it? Ah, it can't be anything worse than I have, I want to love you and I want to shower love on you. And here's my, this is, you don't have to pay me back for it or anything. Nah, I don't want it. Wow. And yet that's what some of us do. God. So we receive it. We receive it. Receive it. And then we say, can't do anything else, God, but thank you. So this morning, I want us to receive and thank God. Receive His love and to thank Him. So if you need to receive God's love this morning, and it could be for the first time, you've never put all these thoughts together and you want to say, I want that God, whatever it looks like, then I would love for you to walk forward as we worship and take my hand or somebody, you know, tap somebody on the shoulder and let's talk and let's talk about what it looks like to receive God's love and allow him to come and live in your life. But it might mean that you've already done that, but you need to be able to receive his love again because you're walking in shame. You're walking in a distorted picture of how he loves you and you think that he wants you to kind of sit off in the corner with a dunce cap on your head and suffer for the choices you've made. He says, no, I forgive you. I want you to know you're my son and daughter, and I want to wipe that shame off of your heart and life, and I want you to experience afresh, like the first time, the love I have for you. That might be you. And some of us just need to say, man, I have been living in his love, and I just want to say thanks. Thank you. Some of that might happen up here. If you need somebody to pray with you, 
or it would help for you to respond to God by others praying with you, please come forward. Some of it might happen in your seat. But let's respond by receiving and thanking God this morning as we conclude our service.